I'm Jamie. Phil. I'm Matt. I'm Bob. I'm Dylan. I'm Mark. And, and this, this is Comics Verse. Hello, Internet. Welcome to another episode of the Comics Verse podcast. I am Ms. Jamie Rice, and we are here in the first part of a two part Sex and Comics podcast talking about when it happens, how it happens, why it happens, all the nitty gritty, fun, historical, cultural, sexual details. Um, but before we get into all of those salacious bits, just want to remind everyone to go to comicsverse.com, check out all our new content. We have a dope culture section. We have lots of interviews from Wizard World Philadelphia, including me and Mr. Philip Casey. You'll get to know very soon, right now, as well as in the second part of this podcast. So we're going to begin with my co-host, the illustrious, beautiful, perfect Mr. Matt Murphy, who is a sexual as well as comical expert. How are you today, Mr. Matt? I'm doing quite well, Jamie. Thank you for considering me a sex expert because I don't know if anyone else would. I mean, I've only heard things, but... Heard some things. I've heard a lot of things from you, so I I guess I shouldn't trust them. No, you should not. I'm a Uh, storyteller. So, Matt, this is the first time we've done a podcast apart since Saga. I know. My heart is broken. I wish you were here. I know. I can't feel the energy of the room. It's really like a detriment to me. I know. Okay. We'll move on to the next person now. Because I guess you don't have anything more interesting to Wait, say. Wait. I do have something interesting to say. Please say it. I'm also the co-host of the Longbox Podcast. You should go check us out on iTunes. Beautiful plug. Beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. And now that we're done with the plug, I'm going to move over what to Mr. Kind Bob Franco. How are you, Bob? I'm fine, I guess. <laughs> Uh, Matt Murphy is a sex expert like Christopher Columbus was a uh, a pioneer of navigation. Thank you. They made some accidental, very important discoveries. And I'm Italian, and he flew for Spain to set the record straight. <laughs> he, he flew gave for up. Bob, are you excited? <laughs> I didn't know they had he planes. Sailed. He sailed for Spain. He's a turncoat and a rapist. Oh. I think I have to cut you off, Bob. Oh, Bob, how are you? Are you excited? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, we're going to move on to Dallin. This is our Hello. second podcast together. How are you? I'm great. I'm, yeah, very you excited. excited had for a the good sexy time. times? Yes, very excited. I mean, I joined Comics for six months ago just for this. I was like, I want to talk about sex in comics. So I'm excited. Yeah, baby. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> okay, and now we're going to go to the last but not the least person, Mark Bouchard, a.k.a. Bushi. Hello. Hello. How are you? How are you, Bushi? I'm I'm very excited to talk about sex and comics. It's uh, sex and comics are basically basically all I do. So yeah, I'm very excited. They always go hand in hand. It's literally all I do. Hmm. Yeah. That must lead excited. to a lot of paper cuts. <laughs> There's, Mark. It's it's a very dangerous <laughs> business, but someone needs to be in it. I get you. I respect. I just fill the void where it needs to be. And filled. now our next last but not least member. <laughs> This is my payback because Phil forgot to put me in his script. <laughs> it was an accident. Uh, this is Mr. Philip Casey. What up, though? How you doing, Phil? <laughs> I'm super. You're super? Yeah, this is going to be a very sexual podcast. Are we going to sexually heal some people? No. <laughs> we need to sexually heal Bob. I think we need to sexually I think we do. heal you, Mr. Murphy. If you want, I will tell you all about my sexuality. And I will put you in your place. <laughs> I think that I and everyone else needs to apologize for all the bad sex puns they're about to make. Or at least I know I'm going to make a lot of them. I'm going to make a lot of butt jokes. 
You may be the butt of jokes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! So it begins. Okay. Let's get into it. Sexually, that is. So for our first segment, we are going to focus on the comic book code and its effects on sex. So AKA comic book censorship history. So the Comics Code Authority or the CCA um, came about in 54. It was created mostly because of outrage that was caused by this book called Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Wortham, which I probably haven't pronounced correctly. You did. Thank you. And he said that violence and crime and sex in the comic books were ruining the damn kids. And that was why they were all into juvenile delinquency, which is a term that doesn't get used enough anymore. And he said that Wonder Woman was a lesbian and Batman and Robin were in a gay sexual relationship. And Superman was un-American and fascist, which, I mean, we all have dreams, but maybe not the most explicit things were evident there. So they created the CCA and... It said that there was no profanity, no smut, no nudity, suggestive posturing. Females had to have realistic boobs, which I'm sure Bob wishes was still um, in effect. Uh, That's a callback to the Guilty Pleasures podcast. Check it out. And basically, they just said any sexual perversion, sex, rape, not okay. And if there was any insinuation of love, it had to be a part of familial vibes. It had to be leading to marriage. It had to be clear romance. Had to be that fantastic for sex. (laughs) <laughs> no sunstone definitely definitely no perfect boobs they're not even perfect they're fake silicone boobs and i refuse for that to be continue to be perpetuated in comics refuse it i refuse it bob that's such a strong stance and i'm so happy that you take it so to begin our questions and our discussion i just wanted to ask the six question of how people feel about the, the cca does it and that code was also in existence until 2001 with Marvel, 2010 with DC, um, which is obviously pretty recent. So what do you guys think? Is it shocking to you that there was a code of such magnitude and that it was prevalent for so long? Folks, I think I speak for all of us when I say it was the best thing to happen to comics. <laughs> <laughs> the traditionalist begins our podcast. That's me. I think it's kind of messed up. Uh there's a lot of effects in the comic book industry that came from the CCA. A lot of mini publishers shut down. Uh, a lot of people were out of work for a while. It wasn't just the content that was censored. Just It kind of killed American business for a bit. Well, if we look at the history of America, I mean, it's founded by a bunch of prudes. And that it's not just affected the comic industry, but it affected all media, film. Excuse so me, Bob. Uh, it's I no surprise. to Hamilton. Uh, Mr. Alexander Hamilton was not a prude. Okay, so that's one dude. There were a bunch of old white dudes who didn't wash their dicks. Alexander <laughs> Hamilton was not a white man. They didn't have modern what? facilities to clean themselves, <laughs> Philip. Wait, you guys wash your dicks? <laughs> you guys for more dicks. All right, Dylan. <laughs> Moving away from washing our dicks. <laughs> I'm pretty shocked that it lasted so long. I mean, I was trying to think about how long film was around before it started, like, I don't know, accepting that sort of stuff. But I feel like comics or that rule lasted a lot longer than it it did for film. And it's interesting that it was just forbidden for so much longer. And like, yeah, until just recently, DC stopped, which is very surprising. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Anyone else in the code? Very, very surprised that DC stopped in 2010 because I feel like I feel like they definitely have violated that code a little bit. But um, 
I think there's certain yeah. things they held to. Like, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like uh, you go to Catholic school and you. Uh, you're like, oh, hey, like you can't, you can't do drugs, you can't have sex before marriage, and then over time, you just kind of like loosen that a little bit, and you're just like, I can do what I want. Like how, like how, if you like start out as a vegetarian, then you're like, you know what, I'm gonna eat fish, and I'm now I'm gonna eat chicken because chicken's good, but I'm not gonna eat pork, and I'm gonna tell people I'm a vegetarian. Yes. Okay. I mean, like in the sixties is when there was a real buckle against the uh, Common Code, and in DC's case, was that. Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill, Green Arrow, Green Lantern book, where his ward, Roy, Speedy, began taking heroin, I think. Yeah. And they just left the code off the cover of the book. And that began to be like kind of the practice for a while. So do you guys think that the values that the code stood for and instilled are still present in any comic books today that obviously don't have to stand up to the code? So I think the the last publisher to really hold on to the comics code and still sort of hold those examples today is Archie Comics. Uh, certain titles, Afterlife with Archie, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and the current reboots of Jughead, Betty, Veronica, and Archie don't really follow it as closely, but they're still publishing like the classic one, I believe. And like, it's one of those things where like I think that was the last uh, the last hurrah for the comics code because Archie was always the wholehearted family publisher and now it's it's updating for a new modern age and I think that was the true death of the comics code authority. I, I think Archie kind of I think I think you're right I think it kind of exemplified uh, what the CC was about. Uh, we're really informal with this with the comic code now, but uh, the book was very popular with teenagers in the 50s and 60s especially and like younger adolescent audiences which is kind of what the point of the cc was to appeal to younger readers uh in the sense that like make the reading less dangerous you know i think that's interesting because comics as a medium is still kind of called uh like the kid kid books but it's right now really stories are targeted towards adults more than anything I know there was a report a while back where DC's prime demographic was 40-year-old men. So that's a really interesting thing, especially going when we're going to be talking about sex in comics, who the real demographic of comics is now and how it differentiated from when the comics code was put in place. I don't know. I guess like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur and like kids books still kind of stick to it for the most part, but that's kind of what makes them generally kids books. And even if a book like really adheres to it you hear it branded as like a kid's book that adults will enjoy maybe uh dc's hannah barbera relaunch books they're doing right now oh no no nope. not no nope. oh no i haven't read any of them they're i know daphne shoots someone oh hell and that's yeah when i was like up oh, i'm out but we're moving that's on because we don't need to talk about violence in uh children's cartoons because we're talking about sex in comics way to bring it back my co-host everyone <laughs> Anytime, Jamie. Uh, so moving away from Marvel and DC, I always think that when it comes to sex and comics, when you think about that, I think about image books. I feel like image kind of has taken up the mantle of being the HBO of comics, <laughs> so to speak. So I was wondering if that is true for you. And do you think that with image books, it's like a very different vibe from the vibe that Marvel and DC put out nowadays when it comes to sex and comics? I definitely think that because like, at least, it, like, Marvel and DC still have their, like, little brands they have to promote. Marvel's run by, like, Disney, so they all have to, like, kind of appeal to kids, whereas, like, Tokyo Ghost is just gonna, like, shove dicks in your face, 
and like it's fine like it's okay like dicks are real but like also <laughs> show me the EBSCO host on that <laughs> but yeah i don't know i i re- i think that dc dc definitely has like or sorry image has definitely has like they it feels unencumbered by like this whole brand that it has to keep of being like acceptable for everyone i don't know i think image definitely started this wave of like sexual acceptance in comics because they really push towards whatever content the creator wants to make is allowed. But I don't know if I'd necessarily call them like the HBO of comics. Cause I think, uh, comics has definitely like embraced, uh, like having no boundaries of what they're able to publish. Like you look at publishers like Oni press, they recently announced uh limerence, their erotic imprint and iron circus, uh, Chicago's biggest comics publisher is mostly predominantly known for smut comics like where we've come to an age where it's accepted it's wanted and it sells i know sunstone from top cow which an imprint of an image book has been on the new york times bestseller list since the first book came out in december 2014 i think in general when you have companies like marvel and dc which make up the you know largest shares of the revenue pie they generally have to adhere to less you know controversial or uh they kind of have to resort to more conventional storytelling and uh their bread and butter is obviously cape stuff image which is obviously you know obviously also sells really well but generally it doesn't always sell as well as those two companies it gives them more opportunity to um experiment with new stuff especially since a lot of it is creator driven material anyway as was mentioned before what my real thing is is uh are comic books really an appropriate medium to sell sex because it's one of those things where like panel to panel is this something, would you go to pick up a comic book just for a sexual book, like, experience, like, in a way that, like, we look to a pornography in, like, film, is comic book an appropriate medium for sex? Well, first off, we all know that you do, Matt. True. So that's a weird question coming from you. Why not? Why should anything be barred from, it's not like, there's, the comic books are, if you don't know what you're looking at, then it's your own it's your own damn fault, honestly. There's no reason why there can't be comic books for kids and there can't be comic books for adults. In between reading Matthew's smutty comics, he's reading text messages from people before he can ask a question. It's true, but it was sex-based. Sex-based. <laughs> Hashtag sex-based. Thank you, Bob, for cueing me and picking me to answer this question. But yeah, I was going to say that I think that Comics have every right and the ability to be just as sexy as sexy movies like Bob was saying. And I think that I've read a lot of comic books that aren't necessarily explicit porn books that have like more intense anatomical portrayals of sex. Sometimes I think that they're more sexy than what you might see in your average R-rated movie. And I mean, I think about too how with manga in Japan, I mean, that's a very different culture, but there that's like the sexiest stuff ever now that they don't have sexy art movies too but i think that there is something specifically different about the connection between watching a sexy like reading a sexy comic versus watching a sexy movie i think it gives you a very different experience i like that but i thought some of the more interesting parts that i would like to talk about is it says females shall be drawn realistically without exaggeration of any physical qualities and i mean based on what i've seen for the last like certain number of years of comics, I feel like that wasn't held to, which actually makes me think that maybe the people who were drawing that actually thought women always look like that. I'm, I'm actually really, which is terrifying. I'm actually really proud of how it, that how strongly they adhered to it because 
I everyone I know can like bend themselves into a pretzel, and like yeah, <laughs> every, yeah. I think it's interesting, especially uh, like when I really started noticing the non-realistic portrayal of women. So I'd have to say, being the '90s, the one like the artist I think of immediately, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Eric Larson. Like I, I've never seen them draw realistic females my entire life. And before that, like I think the big artist right before them was John Byrne, where I think John Byrne does it rather realistically and appropriately. Not that I currently agree with his worldviews, but a whole different story. We were definitely going to hold your feet to the oh, fire yeah. on that. I, yes, uh, Mark? Yeah, I think that uh, I think that probably the big reason that that was really ignored back then is because like comics were like kind of just like a, a boys' club, and they were just like, you know what? It would help. It would help my main character if like this character was hot, and like people are going to buy this book if this character is hot, and they were probably honestly in place. I can't imagine the the creators really liking the the CCA, and I feel like I feel like they uh, they kind of just did they kind of just chose what and what to like adhere to and what to like prosecute or whatever or however they dealt with it, and like women having big boobs and like looking really outrageous and like not physically possible was kind of low on their list because violence is bad and uh, but like dudes can do whatever they want. That's that's my two cents. I think that's true. I saw an interesting thing the other day on Instagram where it was like a picture taken from a book and it was like the original generation of artists like Jack Kirby and like Steve Buscemi's like strict line work and everything was realistic, but it was it was still stylized in its own way. And that like everything like after that, each generation of comics, like it just kind of as everything became as America became less conservative, so did the uh, use of the Comics Code Authority, and so did the artist portrayal of both men and women in comics. My question, sincerely here, is: Did the CC actually inspire anything? Like, did anything good come from it? You know what I mean? While it was inherently and intrinsically a tool to limit creative talent and the proclivity of these talents, uh, did anything good emerge from that? In your pers- in, in your opinions, I don't think so because I can't tell you one comic book created under the cca that i've truly like enjoyed reading it's all very safe and like well like, safe books are okay i'm like a huge fan of like certain cakes books they're just not they're not my style but i'm also not the demographic it was created for like i have a completely different mindset i've completely different moral views like it's not me we're not the we might not be the right people to be discussing that. Well, like if we had someone who was raised during that time was reading at the time, they could probably tell us some amazing things and how they hate the comics that are being published right now. I know when I was uh working at Midtown Comics, uh people would send in emails all the time being like, This wasn't this isn't like the kind of like family oriented stuff I was reading when I was a kid. Like I've collected every issue of Fantastic Four. Why isn't it like it was when I was a kid? Like it's not it's different times, different people, different comics. Yeah, and um, I think that's a good point. But I wonder, like, if the CCA hadn't been made, if both of those would have been made. Or it seems like it could have harmed that because earlier we talked about how I don't know, like, about it being made for adults or not, like, or like a demographic now being forty-year-old men. And I wonder if there was a better way than just assuming that um, without the CCA, there would be juvenile delinquency, like maybe trying to make both types of books, ones that are family friendly 
and ones that are coming out now that are less family friendly. I think it's interesting that you put it that way because uh, it's been proven that most of the stuff Wortham wrote in Seduction of the Innocent was lies. He he made most of the stuff up. Yeah, and yeah, for sure, lies create halted a whole industry for years. So we we'll never know what happened. It could have gone completely well but one man's actions crippled an entire industry for decades yeah yeah it didn't just limit the creative artists it limited the audiences too i I wonder though if because of these limitations it forced writers to have to be more creative and trying to find ways around the cca i don't know this is posturing really i mean i think the thing that i think about when i think about this is like when i look at the list i think that a lot of things that i don't like should have like not happened like even though it's bad to never portray rape, I think that it's a reality of life and we should all be aware of it. But then again, I think of like really awful things that still happen to female characters throughout all those years, like fridging them as like, as opposed to like, maybe, I mean, it's like that was going to happen. I feel like because of the attitude at the time, regardless. I mean, I think when I look at the list too, like under the marriage and sex section, it's a seduction and rape shall never be shown or suggested. And I think it's really awful that they like conflated the idea of seduction and rape because those are obviously very like it's really bad to conflate the idea of like seducing someone and like that's just like kind of like coming on to them as opposed to like taking doing it against their will. I think that uh, another quote that really gets <laughs> me is uh, the all characters shall be depicted in dress reasonably acceptable to society when most characters are wearing uh, leather latex like they're all heavily fetishized versions of real people like they're fantasy characters and that no matter how they're drawn in that era like batman's still in one of the kinkiest outfits made of all time like i don't understand how you're gonna limit how women are gonna be drawn but a grown man can dress up in full body leather and parade through the streets because it's hot it is quite (laughs) hot all right, everyone, uh, we're on to segment three, uh, feminist sex versus sexist sex. So, Jamie, I don't know about you, but for me, feminist sex versus sexist sex, the real line here is objectification. Uh, I think if you look at a comic book like Sex Criminals, it's sex is a major part of the narrative, and it's like it works. The two main characters fall in love because they have sex powers. I wish I had sex powers, but apparently whatever god is out there doesn't like me and won't give me sex powers but that's a whole different story uh we won't go into religion right now but uh basically in that story sex is it it could be considered feminist sex because while some of the sex wouldn't be considered wholesome it's very empowering to both of the characters uh none of the female characters none of the male characters are put down from any of the sexual actions they're not uh, objectified in any way and uh the example i used to combat this as a sexist sex is uh the new 52 issue of catwoman number one by judd winnick and gill march which i'm actually a fan of i just want to point that out right now that uh the character is like from the opening of the issue she's half in her underwear she's getting dressed she's putting on her leather outfit uh she beats up the russians half naked as a hooker and then she has sex with batman on a rooftop with their masks on because it's hotter and i don't really think that can be considered feminist sex it's kind of sex sex because her it's really the comic was done for the male gaze and that's gillen march's style and i dig his style but in comparison to a comic where like sex is used positively i feel like this is done negatively because it doesn't do anything beneficial for the character in the long run and it doesn't have anything to do with the ongoing arc it just kind of is there to sell the issue 
So uh, I actually, well, I agree with you that I think the author, like the artist's intent was to like pander to men being like, oh shit, like Catwoman has boobs and a butt. Like, wow, who knew? But I actually, oh, not to nitpick, but she's actually only not fully clothed for about a little over a tenth of the issue because I counted panels because I was like, real, I'm, I really love this run of Catwoman and I'd previously like not been exposed to it until like a couple weeks ago and yeah her costume does not leave anything like it's just like it's just vinyl leather like it's so it's like ah uh. but anyway i don't think they were getting too hot successful. bothered over there no, I, <laughs> like, i'm getting a little i'm getting a little upset you, you're grunting i was getting a little upset. <laughs> i think that she f- owns it she is fully in control all the time like further in the run she continues having sex with batman but it's all her like it's all she leaves whenever she's done it's like like and she dresses up like a hooker so as to lure this russian who had previously been abusing prostitutes and whatnot to get him alone in a bathroom where she rips out one of his eyeballs she literally rips out his eyeball and then to like in later issues, she actually, spoiler alert, gets him to be the, like, point man for this painting that's very important to, important to the Russian mob that she has stolen, uh, that is worthless, except they like it as a good luck charm or something, and, uh, she has him come because he runs a good team or whatever, but as soon as he gets there, she blows him up, or gets him blown up, rather, and I think she is fully aware of what men think of her body and fully aware of how she can use that to like further herself and she's leaving her apartment in half naked because someone blew it up and it's on fire and she has to get her cats out she has a lot of cats it probably smells very bad wherever she lives but yeah but that goes to my my question about that whole thing now that we know exactly what happened in catwoman (laughs) uh my thing is is there is there a really big difference in audiences on what is feminist and what's objectification? Like, can can any one thing be considered feminist? Can it be feminist in one person's eyes versus another? Is it objectification for one group of people, but different for another? And is that a problematic issue in the comic book industry? Yeah, just going off of that, I read or watched a video from Anita Sarskin uh, about something about objectification in general. I think it was in video games this time. And... She said something interesting to the effect of like sexist portrayals of like people who are like really sexy and objectified, but they like own their sexuality, which is that not like to pick on Bushi for this, but there is people will say like, oh, well, she's owning it. And it's like, well, she doesn't do anything. She was drawn by someone else. Like this is not she doesn't act. She doesn't actually exist as a character like that portrayal of her is kind of being done to her, which I think is worth thinking about when you think about sexist portrayals or sexist sex. But and going back to Matt's question about like feminist sex versus sexist sex and can it even exist, I think a good example of an attempt at feminist sex is either sex criminals or bitch planet because I think both of those comics attempt to not objectify the characters and then maybe not with bitch planet, it's a little different, but especially with sex criminals, it's like they each come to accept their sexuality through the act of sex. So it kind of goes into both of theirs and other characters' sexual hangups and kind of talks about how, especially with the main character, sex criminals, they kind of like come to this place together where they're not ashamed of themselves for that part of themselves. And I think that that's probably the closest you can get to feminist sex for at least both people. I think that the book does a good job of not objectifying necessarily anyone too much. Whereas, I mean, usually it's always the men, I mean, the women that are being objectified. But I do think that whenever you present sex as something that empowers people to not feel embarrassed about the way they feel about sex, I feel like that's extremely feminist. All right. uh, 
And yes, I, Mark. I, I really agree with you about sex criminals, and I, I also agree with you about Catwoman, because, like, as a, I think as a character she's owning it, but it's very clear that, like, she is drawn to, like, attract heterosexual men. Like, there's so right. many unnecessary angles where it's just, like, this is an ass, and, like, this ass is gonna be most of the panel, and, like, really, we need to see her, like, she's punching someone, but, like, also, there's an ass, and, like, that's very unnecessary, and I think that, like, I, like, as a, the way she's written works well, but the way she's drawn does, is, is, yeah, it's, like, completely objectifying. I wish people um, would illustrate me, like, they do Catwoman in there, kind of showcasing my, my ass while I, I'm whooping, while I'm whooping, opening up a can of whoop ass, so to speak. That's how I think of you on the daily, Phil. Oh, yeah. hell yeah. Phil reminds me so much of Catwoman. I'll, I, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. There's a character in this comic I'm doing that looks exactly <laughs> like Phil, and now I'm gonna make sure some artists do a couple sweet ass shots with Phil's consent, of course. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> the sweet ass shot. All right, so now that we've talked about, we brought up the idea of uh, like superheroes and the presence of sex. Follow up question: Superheroes, both male and females, are hypersexualized and fetishized versions of normal people. With this knowledge, can any sexual encounter in the superhero genre be considered feminist? Ooh, the room is silent. Matt owns it with this question. <laughs> Dylan, what do you think? You haven't said anything in a little while. I'm putting you on the spot. I can think of something. Oh, thanks. Ooh. <laughs> I'm leaving. Damn. <laughs> I don't I mean, actually, I can't think of anything. I mean, I mean, like, it not, I think that a lot of this depends really on the style, like, artist style. Like, like could uh, a sex scene drawn by Humberto Ramos ever be considered, like, okay and, like, feminist and whatever and not objectifying? No. No, nothing, no one that Humberto's, Humberto Ramos has ever drawn has ever resembled a real person in any way. Like, in any way. <laughs> but is he, is <laughs> he good? Matt thinks that's a hot take. <laughs> Matt and I have a lot of disagreements about Humberto Ramos' style. I love, I love the way he draws Thor. I love the way he draws characters. But I am a little uncomfortable seeing him draw Mary Jane because it's just... It's just it's just two softballs. And, like, you can see her, it, her hip bones are pronounced. And he draws, like, so, these, like... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> you I gotta, sound like turned on, but also disgusted at the I'm, same time. I'm, I'm just entirely disgusted. It's There's nothing that looks remotely natural or alluring about these bodies. That's how hypersexualized they are. But, uh, I mean, but I think there's a market for that. I mean, just saying like when, you know, people make those like realistic humanoid versions of like people who are drawn. But like when you look at the drawing, it's kind of like the uncanny valley, but the opposite way. It's like people find that appealing. Yeah, I, don't, I think I don't I don't get. I don't get I don't I don't get the whole this thing I drew is sexy kind of thing. I I don't I don't know. I'm not a Frank Cho fan. Oh my god. I'm I'm not a I I don't want my super I don't want my punching to be interrupted by ass shots is all I'm saying right here. Like there's a time and a place for characters to be sexy and I don't really think that we need that time to be all the time. But then why do you like just like not to, I feel like I'm putting you on the spot, but like, what is it in Catwoman's fight scenes? It's like spread eagle fights. Like when she lands on a building, her legs spread. I mean, I've seen Phil spread his legs and he doesn't even get close to that level. I mean, I'm not saying that I like really like the artist. I'm like, I love, I love the like, Got it. Catwoman in that, in that right. arc. And like, I think the coolest panel is like, I think it's in issue two or three and she flies in out of nowhere, like looking like she's jumping off a building but like her knees are connecting, both knees connect like with the chest of this mobster. Well, Jamie, Mark is working on that book 
where I am the protagonist, and if one can <laughs> truly dream and hope, I will be fighting like Catwoman does, spread eagle all the way. Good point. With a Batman-sized bulge, I hope. I will make sure to write that in. <laughs> Bat bulge unite. All right. I'm glad we're talking about my bulge. Uh, <laughs> all right, so moving away from the superhero genre. since And Phil's bulge. And Phil's bulge. <laughs> not moving away from Phil's bulge. <laughs> we're staying, Don't move away. We're staying on Phil's bulge. I'm not. I'm pretty close to it. Now I know how this feels, it. guys. <laughs> uh, I'm so jealous of Bob right now. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So now that we've talked about sexual encounters in superheroes, uh, let's talk about uh, bringing back to erotic comics right now. One of the books we had to read uh, was Omaha the Cat Dancer, which is a book about a female cat stripper that has a lot of sex. So my question I identify is... identify with that. Same. If sex is what defines the narrative in a comic, can this truly be considered feminist? Is a comic about sex objectifying all parties involved? I mean, how how is that possible? So, are you telling me if it's a female writer and they write about sex, it's objectifying? I'm asking you that. I'm not telling you. I don't, I don't think, like, how is sex just a, a male thing, though? Like, it's just like, we got to put it in perspective. It's not always going to be sexist, you know? Like, Jamie brought up Bitch Planet before, you know? that's There's lesbian sex in there, so there's no male. And I'm pretty sure it's female. It's definitely a female writer. So, I mean, yeah, why don't you take it from here, Jamie? Yeah, I was saying that there was, like, they called it the obligatory shower scene. And I think it was issue four. And it was kind of like they had to do, but they, it took, I remember that book got delayed for about a few months because they had to do three different passes because they were trying to find a way to have a lesbian sex scene that wasn't objectifying. And I mean, when I look at it now, it's pretty, it works. Like there's never a moment where it feels salacious or gross, but I mean, there's not a lot of anatomical detail. And there is a lot of anatomical detail in that book all the time, but it's not necessarily sexy. So, I mean, for me, when I think about that, I think about feminist sex and objectification, I wonder if in order to not objectify people, you can't show their parts, especially if they're female parts, because like regardless, it's kind of like the camera or the page just has like such a male gaze thing to it. Like I remember reading something once about the male gaze and it was like gaze is inherently male. Like there isn't really a female gaze, which I thought was interesting. And I don't know if it's true. I mean I can't I can't say that when I look at a naked man, I think that I mean even when I look at a female woman, I feel like it's a very different vibe to when you look at like, I don't know, it's kind of like a dude with his dick out has always been, like, made funny for so much that, like, when I look at it, not that I'm laughing at, like, people in the room with me, but, like, you kind of, like, this is, like, humorous. Like, penises are humorous, whereas, like, female bodies aren't necessarily humorous. They're just kind of sexy. Maybe because nothing's, like, sticking out. You know what I mean? Nothing's, like, pointing. There are two things sticking out. What do you mean? Two oh, boobs? Boobs. Mm. Yeah, but those, are, nipples? but those are always sticking out. Like, it's not like it mm. rises or... Oh, or, uh, this is... Also, also... I mean, like, by like, <laughs> we gotta. Those yeah. are always visible. Can we have an anatomy lesson, please, folks? <laughs> I'm not saying you're what wrong. What are fallopian tubes? Those are hidden. No one's wearing. <laughs> <laughs> no one's walking without pants. That goes for both male and female. Okay. Well, also, no one's fallopian tubes are ever f- visible because that would result in a, a visit to the hospital. Those need to be in there. Being the, those being out there would be not fun for everyone. It would be hurtful. Very painful. But in Saga, we discussed this a lot in the Saga podcast, how the book kind of argues that the key to fixing the world is having sex. And so I was wondering if you guys thought that that is a feminist take on the act of sex. Uh, how in response to 
war being an act of violence. Yeah. All right. I guess it is kind of because the uh, in the world of Saga, the the opposite of war is f- sex. It's passion. And I guess in a way that is kind of feminist because it's not it's not objectifying in any way. It's always on everyone's mind. It's a way where in war, everyone is kind of treated as objects. They're pawns to be blown up and killed off. Whereas in everyone's sort of involved. Everyone's there. You're never focusing on a certain element of sex. It's just kind of it's all passion. It's never really about just sexuality, you know, if that. Yeah, I think that's an excellent reason why it's feminist. Yeah, ironically enough, it's almost implying that sex takes away the objectification that like the violence of war gives. Because the only thing more objectifying allegedly than like putting someone down to their base parts is like putting them down to like the physical aspect of like breathing and bleeding. Yeah. Cool. Anything else, boys? I guess it's just too hard to define what feminist sex is going to be. I agree with that. I think I think we have truly one bona fide expert on feminist sex in this discussion, and that would be the the only woman in this discussion. Because our you know you're you got you bow got, down, bitches. Yeah, we don't have the answers, man. We, we our answers are just. But do you think that every time you ever had sex in your life that you had like sex is sex? Ooh, no. hard hitting question. I mean, I like you gotta you gotta do that. You gotta do the asking every step of the way. Like, be like, "Yo, is uh, is all good? You all comfortable?" It's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh Jesus! Uh, like, is this okay? Is this fine? Is Are this a kidding? vagina? <laughs> is it okay if I stick something <laughs> in there? What is what is okay to? Well, it's. You yeah. should know beforehand. You, you don't, gotta, you don't you gotta, ask in the middle, Mark. Well, you ask. You ask if like uh, to progress things from like kissing to moving on. You uh, ask. You gotta. I ask. I, I don't ask to make sure. I to, you're nailing this. It's I like, mean, you're nailing consent right now. Like I'm nailing it. I'm like. I'm like. No, I'm nailing consent to the point of annoyingness and like shit <laughs> like goes down. Like I've. Yeah. It's like Simon says. <laughs> Just want to make I, sure people are comfortable. I don't have casual sex for that reasoning i do not want to do well, that i just want to make i just want to make sure everything's okay the first thing you're having sex kiss me on the mouth i didn't no, say like, simon says <laughs> <laughs> just like constantly check up on it you know no yeah i no i i constantly it's check an episode up on of it. new girl shit about works that. shit works shit works yeah I, so I, you're saying that but i'm just i just mean that i say that as an advocate meaning like if you think that you're not an expert in like what it would be to have feminist sex and that implies that like every time you ever had sex well, with the woman you were like having Sex the way that you imagine the guy who draws Catwoman thinks of sex. I hope not. Whoa, oh no. Jesus Christ! No, no. I'm, I'm saying at- that's how you feel. That's what you're. No, doing. I do so not. Listen, no, 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 no. I, I'm saying that. No, no, like, no, no, no. I'm saying that you like you, you dug yourself in a real big you hole. You as here, a Mark. woman. You as a woman. I don't have think a more, anyone can defend you at this point. No, what you as a woman have a more like like concrete view of feminism than like I can have because I'm not I'm not a woman. You know, like you, I can't tell. Isn't you that a bit sexist? I, I mean, love being told I'm better, though, so I'll take it. Yeah, that's good. I, I, think, I, think, I think having your ego here. stroked is the best thing. I think that there are holes that aren't the fun kind of holes being dug here. What's a not kind of... All right, what's, 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 wait, fun. what's a fun hole to dig is <laughs> my main question. what's a not fun hole to dig? <laughs> a, a, hole a hole to, to China, China on the beach. <laughs> oh. One time Ooh. when I was a little kid, I got, good I got buried in a hole on a beach by accident. All right, next. Okay, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we are now in the fourth segment. We are going to be talking about meaningful versus meaningless sex. And the first question comes from Bushi. Okay, so according to Aristotle, art imitates life. 
And as art, this holds true for comics. Every comic, even comics set on fictional planets and alternate realities, whatever, they're all microcosms of the worldview and the environment experienced by the people who create them. And that, unfortunately, means that the double standard regarding casual sex that we have here in the USA and many places around the world, uh, that's also present in comics. So casual sex has been a lot, it's, it's a lot less st stigmatized than it used to be, and in, in countless medias, including comics, we see men being lauded and uh, given accolades for just sleeping around like um, Batman and Tony Stark, whatnot, and um, they're both billionaire playboys, and they're not fighting crime, And but the difference between them and female characters are the female characters kind of get tr they treat it as if they have blemishes on their character if they're sleeping around. So I kind of wanted to open up the discussion about She-Hulk, where the, especially the dance slot run, where she actually gets kicked out of the Avengers mansion for bringing back too many one-night stands. It's talked as, it's described as a threat to security, but, I mean, Tony Stark has to be doing the same thing, because that's Tony Stark. And, uh, yeah, let's just go off of that. I am going to start, even though Both wanted to start, because... Just because I was very interested in the She-Hulk run, because I remember I came to She-Hulk because we were doing a feminist podcast and Justin said, oh, well, you got to talk about She-Hulk. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, there was that big scandal where everyone thought that she was like such a slut. And I was like, what are you talking about? So I found this book from Dan Slott. And in the book, it's I mean, it's very interesting the way it's presented. But I mean, like you said, Alfred kind of like kicks her out. And then there's a scene where she like wakes up in bed with the guy and she's not hulked out. And she's just Jennifer. And then she hulks herself out because she wants to be sexy and she knows nobody wants to have sex with her and she's Jennifer. Which, I mean, I thought that was really, really interesting that this character who's supposedly, like, really forward-thinking when it comes to sex and, like, having sex with lots of people and open to this, like, dating world and the way it is now had, like, a sexy persona and a non-sexy persona. And I felt like kind of like the female sexist superpower thing like it was weird because considering her powers being strong it was like she was only sexy when she was in her strong hulked out form and i mean maybe that's feminism but it was it was weird to think that she was only valuable sexually when she was like in her hulk version but then again the hulk version is so objectifiable whereas jennifer walters is just so like i mean she's a normal woman but like how boring is that i guess it's the way the book presents it so i mean i don't know for me that she hulk thing and the casual sex has always been, I've never been quite convinced it was the most feminist thing ever or the best thing ever. I kind of agree with that just because like the way they kind of inadvertently, maybe they kind of like portray her as a little bit of a, like a wreck, like always just like abusing her Avengers parking pass and parking kind of in the middle of the road all the time. And this is usually like that, like followed that, like generally followed her like being late to work because of one night stands and whatnot. And, um, I don't know. I think it just, it kind of feels like, the like background cast of the Avengers in this case being like Iron Man and Tony Stark or Iron Man and Captain America are kind of ganging up on her just because like they like during that party uh that she throws after winning a big case they're kind of like uh yeah we need to talk and does does anyone think She-Hulk is partying too much and she's partying sure but like she's not nothing in her life is really being impacted. Nothing in anyone's life is really being impacted. And it sort of feels like they're trying to police her for these things that, like, we see Tony Stark doing in comics all the time, like hosting big events, getting drunk, or not anymore, but because alcoholism, and um, he's avoiding that. But, like, these are just things that, I mean, Bruce Wayne would never get called on for, and, like, we're seeing 
uh, She-Hulk called on them, even though she's like the epitome of like, she's she's saves the world as an Avenger, and she's a very accomplished lawyer. And it seems like from all the things I've seen her do as a lawyer, she works for like the good guys, quote unquote. Like she's never, she's never like defending like people that are polluting lakes or whatever. She's not like defending murderers and stuff. She's just like, she does good. And I think it's weird, or not weird. I think it's, um, I think it's not cool that she gets like, they zero in on like the one thing about her and that's enough to like kick her out of the mansion i think you guys kind of missed the whole point of that not to i just the whole point of it was that she's bringing guys home and they she wasn't doing background checks one of the consistent thing is is like what happens if he's a hydra agent at one point he's like the bomb the bomb and she freaks out about it she like it's uh, like i get that they're pointing out that she is like sexually free but i think that's not really the problem i think it's she's taking advantage of her privilege and she's using that to forward her life. The Avengers parking pass. Bringing guys home that no one knows. They could kill her. They could kill everyone in the mansion. And then it's also with having no effect on the world around them. She leaves a case to save the world and costs her whole law firm another case and thousands of dollars. I would say what you're saying kind of feels like it is a carryover from the code. And I think it's something that happens to all the major superheroes is I think about there's usually like an arc of stuff with like Iron Man and Batman where it's like Mr. Wayne like you're partying too much like you're doing hitting the alcohol too hard like you're not saving the world you're not devoting yourself truly to saving the world you're taking advantage of your privileged position like with your money and how sexy you are or whatever I feel like She-Hulk is getting the similar I mean in some ways it's feminist in the sense that it's the same storyline but i feel like that's also a very cody storyline it's like if you're just like pursuing all these sexual endeavors i mean there's something to be said for baby not like having sex with everyone you see on the street you're probably not feeling that great about yourself but at the same time it feels like that kind of story where it's like if you're not really trying to make a connection with a person and start a different familial life then you're not doing something that is admirable and should be an example for like the kids or people in general but i guess my like i i guess my question for you, Matt, is uh, how I don't really see how that like syncs up because she's like her her professional life is being hurt hurt by her status as an Avenger, not like her like status as someone who well, enjoys it's sex. really being harmed by the fact that all of her decisions as a whole, not just necessarily her sex life. And that I think that's one of the things that that issue does really well is that it shows that she's not only making careless decisions about her sex life, she's making careless decisions all around. And that's why like, I don't really think that you can really judge her by her sex life in that issue because she's not being just judged for her sex. She's being mm-hmm. judged for her position of power. She's being judged like... She's just being judged because she's making a lot of mistakes, and it's not just sexual mistakes. I don't think that's fair. I think meaningful and meaningless sex. I mean, good for her that she's having meaningless sex. People that do have meaningful sex, you wanna, you guys have brought up Batman. Bruce Wayne was having a relationship with Jezebel Jet right before Batman R.I.P., and it turned out that she was an orchestrator in a whole plan to end up killing him. So meaningful sex does also have like a negative presence in comics but i think i just don't think that her sexuality is very impactful i i uh i actually don't agree with the fact that she's being careless because like it's not she's she leaves the case to save the world and i think her priorities are pretty in check there and she the she had initially won the case and they called it as a mistrial and uh yeah i really don't trials are very funny i don't i don't really uh i don't really see 
any any Hydra agent particularly being a threat to She-Hulk because she's she Hulk, and she could. But she's not thinking about the people around the other Avengers in the tower. You mean the other are, superheroes? I mean, there's there? the Wasp. Like, what if like there's characters who don't have superpowers, like or superpowers that are really going to be a big defense against, say, a bomb. I don't know. I think it's. I think that she's definitely being like a. I don't think that Tony Stark runs background check, but then again, he's Tony Stark, so maybe he does. But I mean, I don't really. I don't. I guess I just don't see the big deal but i guess that's also why i'm not in charge of the avengers security i say let her be her it's fine she saves the world like on a very regular basis yeah that's that's my that's my two cents so to wrap up this segment not just focusing on the she-hulk issues do you guys feel like the large number like the large number of meaningless sexual encounters that like batman iron man or she-hulk have do you think that like the 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 writers used that number of sexual partners to say something about the characters, or do you feel like in those books particularly it's just like a fun chance to give you like a cool pairing? Like, do you feel like the they're using meaningful or meaningless sex to actually make a point? Firstly, there's a joke there for a notch on the old utility belt. Am I right, though? I'll let the cricket show me I, the, my I way I hate up. you so much right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no, Batman's totally a male power fantasy. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's daddy. He's, mm. <laughs> <laughs> our live studio audience thought was funny. James Bond, he's basically James Bond, a superhero, and then that, with all the male wish fulfillment that comes with that, which is getting all the girls. But Batman's also been thought of as being asexual so batman's mm. sexuality is very complex depends on the writer right but to say is he's just like a playboy that's sometimes just a persona and sometimes it's real and also batman's like one of the most um you know redacted and thought of characters of all time but i think with sexuality it all depends on your perspective of it obviously and me personally i'm not into casual sex so i can't really relate to these people that are tony stark or she hulk that are just like casually bringing in these people in and and uh boning them i just i find that so awkward and weird but you know it's a lifestyle that people choose so i'm not going to judge them on that's something that i don't do it makes me feel sad sometimes anyone else have a hot opinion about whether or not the number of sexual partners that happened in here but uh, I don't know. I don't think it really, like, I think all in all, every, like, sexual encounter, unless it's, like, poorly done, is character development for both characters. As long as there's no objectification for either party, uh, it really is, like, it's a benefit to the story in the long run. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like sex can just be sex sometimes, you know? Like, I, I don't think that, like, I guess, like, in personal experience, I don't come out of every sexual encounter saying, like, huh, I'm different now. You know, like, it doesn't always have to be character development. Like, sure, like, everything you do changes, like, a little, changes the character, like, a little bit, but I don't think cumulatively, like, that even adds up. I, well, I guess maybe character development's the wrong term, but at least, uh, like, it, it changes the direction of the story. Okay, fair. It, it affects all the parties involved, maybe not long term, but soft term. Uh, uh, soft term. <laughs> Ugh, I don't like that. I meant, I meant short term. Hard term or soft term? Sorry, soft term, at least yeah. you know where my head's at, guys. Soft. Soft dicks. That's where my head's at. How think I can save us from that? Okay, next segment. This segment is called Violent Sex Slash Voyeurism Versus Rape. So, and I hate 
putting those two things together because I feel like it's confusing. So just like, pref- I'm just gonna say before we start this like this whole section that we all know at Comics Verse, and we hope everyone else knows there's a big difference between violence, sex, and rape. Most notably being that rape is not sex at all because sex is consensual. So Amen. just saying that we don't conflate the two things, and you shouldn't either. Now to the questions. So just to begin, sex and violence have been conflated throughout many different genres and time periods. One of the first instances I can think of is like the bite of a vampire gives its victim euphoria, but at the same time, obviously, it's killing them. And then, of course, like modern day thrillers where people are killing each other while they're still having sex with each other. There's always been the contradiction. That's actually in a movie that you haven't seen because you said you didn't watch that movie on the last podcast. But we always had a fascination with conflating violent. <laughs> Matt, do you want me to break that down for you a bit more? No, I. what movie is this? <laughs> That's in Gone Girl. Okay, okay, I'm good. Very, very great, great scene. Oh. Ben Affleck's dick's in that movie. No. Yes, it is. It's, prob- it? it's probably not it's really an, I've, his I've wiener. It. It's, a, give, it's like literally like a frame. But yeah, it's okay. a fake wiener. Let's give Ben Affleck's dick an Oscar. Next, after me, baby. No. That's, that's for Justice League. But regardless, there's always been a fascination with killing people while at the same time, like having sex in some way. Those two things always happen to go together. So why do we think that we as a culture or we as people associate death with sex? Is it like their opposites are attracting? Is there some, I wrote, I was so um, pretentious when I wrote this. Is there some poetry in dying during an act of creation? So I'm not going to lie, I was really confused when I read this on the script because I, I do not associate death with sex, and I think that's a horrible nightmare I once had. <laughs> no, I don't. I, mean, I don't. <laughs> I mean, I know it's a thing, but I don't personally do you it. You know Kay's not part of the podcast. You're about autoerotic asphyxiation? <laughs> Ooh, autoerotic asphyxiation is kind of interesting, mm. I won't lie. And that is uh, very related to this concept. That is true, but I, don't, I think it's just... Necrophilia from the top. Maybe the reason people are in it because it's just you want to like reach that sexual peak where there's nothing left. Like you want to come so hard or have someone come so hard that there's nothing left. I mean, I had to go there, guys. What? What else do you want? What does that mean? Well, well, I was gonna say that reminds me of that scene in. I've always been very confused with this scene, but there's a scene in Buffy where she's talking to Angel in season two, and she goes, when I kiss you, I want to die. Same. But, I mean, and I think that you, that's what you're talking about, though. It's like the yeah. idea that, like, you're so, like, euphorically, orgasmically into this that it's like, there's nothing better. I feel if like it's almost like this is the end. If you died in that moment, it would be the perfect end because it's, like, the perfect orgasm, the perfect... You're right. It just sounds like, so f***ed up when you say yeah. it like that. Oh, man. I do not view sex like this This is at so all. 2004. Bob, I don't either, but I'm just explaining it. This is so... So like 2004. The, like the female praying mantis, so. <laughs> I devour my praise, my my lover's head after intercourse. I should have mentioned that in the intro. And then I let the sweet release of death consume him. <laughs> Can we please turn on some My Chemical Romance? No. But, but wait, I just like, I think that there's something interesting in the fact that all of us, I feel like, are like vaguely aware of this concept, but like none of us would like say we would associate in our lives those two things. Putting sex on a pedestal, man, can't be doing that. The Everything's only... gonna end up a disappointment. But like saying you're dying while having sex is putting sex on a pedestal. I mean, they'd already be yes. dead. I don't think you'd be. Everyone's it. currently dying. Oh please! <laughs> Someone has a heart attack 
having sex, I'm pretty sure they would not want to have that heart attack. That's how people die. Mobile commercial about a few years ago where like a center is having sex with a hooker and he has a heart attack in the middle of it. Uh, you remember it happened in this one of the Super Bowls. I'm pretty sure he's not enjoying that orgasm, all right? Let's <laughs> let's just be let's just be clear let's, here. I feel like be real, he's a masochist, he's really enjoying that heart attack. I feel like a partner having a heart attack during uh, a sexual experience would be one of Matt Murphy's kind of future. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a Matt Murphy sex story. That sounds terrible for him. Matt's face does not say he appreciates that reference. I'm sorry, Matt. I told, I've tried really hard not to ever go there in this oh, podcast. That was me, I'm sorry. Segment over. I, I love you. <laughs> I just put an M wait, there. Wait, did we... The first way I would make a conflation between sex and violence is that in a lot of comic books, people will have sex after they've maimed or killed someone, and they'll have the sex with the costumes on. So this is kind of the sexual voyeurism aspect of this as well. And they always talk about how like it's hotter when you have that costume on. So is there something about us as a society or us as people that we would prefer to not be ourselves while we're having sex? Uh, I'll take that one. I think a lot of people like foreplay, you know, foreplay, mixing it up, shaking it up. Uh, I think that's just natural, you know, <laughs> doing some role playing. What's wrong with that? Please, more detail. <laughs> Isn't that what the sex with the comics thing is? I mean, what uh, comic characters are, they're already in uniform. So, you know, it's like they're already different people. I have a point on that. Uh, and it's something I picked up last night when I was going over the Watchmen sex scenes. At one point, Night Owl says to Silk Spectre after they're done, he says, like, uh, it's great to be out of the closet. Like, to have, like, that moment, like, he... He has he gets to hold nothing back. Like he's allowed to be Night Owl, he's allowed to be himself. And like he like he can do that in the mask. He can do that naked at the same time. And it's it's very weird, but it's also like I like at that moment I was like I kind of understood like it's like sexual and personal freedom. Well it's funny because in the Catwoman issue we talked about when she and Batman have sex, she doesn't get the costume off. Or she wants the costume on in order to make it less personal so Mm -hmm. that's an interesting contrast like like the mask is hiding and she just wants to have sexual pleasure and then not be in a relationship or just be able to keep moving on well well i think that one of their things is that uh or one of the things between catwoman and batman which makes their sex like so not almost transactional is that neither of them want commit neither of them can function with like being encumbered like they both are creatures of the night i guess so to say uh they both are stealthy they both are fast-paced quick moving they just i don't even i don't want to see a sex scene where catwoman and batman are having sex without costumes on i don't need that well okay well going back to the catwoman are they having sex for you i think there's something there's something weird about their sex in the sense that like there's a, a scene like at the end of the first arc of that book where uh, so they're about to. They're almost about to have sex again. And Batman's like, "What's wrong with you? Like, what do you like? Want to like get yourself killed?" And she's like, "Maybe I do." Which is like another instance of like they're about to have sex and then like I mean that instance she derails it by talking about dying. But it's like always. I feel like it's always coming up. It's like an adrenaline push kind of thing. Yeah. It's always a risk. Get your endorphins up. Yeah. Maybe you'll get that heart attack. Oh boy. Maybe you'll increase fighting performance. Thank God willing. <laughs> I have a slight follow-up to that, which is, do we think that 
people want to have sex with the costumes on because they're ashamed of their themselves and their sexual actions. Depends on the character, doesn't it? I think some people just want to watch the world burn. Right. They do. (laughs) Which is, uh, you know, people who vote for Trump. Damn. Ooh. Boo. Gotta get Trump in there. there. But it's just like, I don't, you know, it's, it's the costume thing just adds something different to, you know, married sex or whatever. It's just adding a little spice, I think. Have you had a lot of married sex, Bob? <laughs> Long-term relationship sex? I mean, into, how different could it be? How into role-play are you? <laughs> how into role-play am I? Not that much. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the questions are being answered to everyone. I'm speaking for other know. people, all right? Hmm. Uh, okay. Guys, so can we, we all... stop king-shaming Bob, please? Yeah. Just... Never. No, don't king shame Bob. Let saying, Bob be Bob. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm saying. getting confused now because it's bouncing. Bob wants to dress up like Bob the Builder Bob can during mm-hmm. sex. He can dress up like Bob the Builder. It's oh, cool. Oh, boy. Next segment. Next yes. segment. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. So now we're going to move on to <laughs> Watchmen, but just not all Watchmen, but just talking about the rape, like not rape, but like attempted sexual assault in that book. And I always thought that scene was interesting for a few reasons. I mean, it has some pretty clear commentary whenever the comedian walks in. He's like, you were asking for it with that costume. But also at the end, whenever she gets saved by Hooded Justice, he looks at her and he's like, he's like, for God's sake, clean yourself up. Which I think was, I don't know if it was just supposed to be victim blaming, but there was some very interesting stuff going on there in general. And so I think that, do you guys think that Alan Moore, that scene was implying that with the way that we draw these sexy ladies in the superhero comics, we're kind of implying they just always want it. I think the, uh, an interesting tidbit about that whole interaction, especially with Hooded Justice, is that Hooded Justice is a homosexual, and that comedian immediately comments on it as soon as he stopped. And I, I, I always take that scene as Hooded Justice just looking at her and being like, you need to clean yourself up, being like he's just as ashamed of like his actions as... Uh, mm-hmm. He is of what the comedian did to her, and he's taking it out on Silk Spectre. Hi, can I jump in? <laughs> Live studio yeah, audience. This is Kay Honda. She is making a surprise appearance right now, <laughs> and she'll make a further appearance later. If you're a familiar, I mean, spoiler alert, but if you're familiar with Watchmen or Alan Moore's work, Alan Moore's not afraid to talk about these kind of themes. He talks about sexuality and rape and like the kind of the or like forceful rape, which I'm sure you've already talked about or are going to talk about. But in Watchmen as well, if I'm not mistaken, Silk Spectre ends up being with the comedian like sometimes or like fooling around or whatever. And that's really interesting because Alan Moore, who doesn't shy away from like really uncomfortable topics or content, I think that that moment is very him in the sense that to him, like, I don't think that there is like a dead set line between what may or may not be a kink or what is appropriate or not appropriate and like what's pleasurable or not. And it's like, I think that it's valid that that's a really interesting moment because I mean, like in a lot of ways, Silk Spectre feels like a lot of ambivalent feelings towards the comedian throughout the comic. Yes, Bob. And then even with Silk Spectra too, with Dr. Manhattan, he's like doing things that she not necessarily consented towards, which Mark approached on. Like he's like being multiple people or in the movie, he's like somewhere else and not paying attention to her. It's just, just odd. It's just an odd situation. And there's just odd 
feelings towards and just miscommunication and just all the you know sex in that comic and that movie is just so weird I think that's actually a fair assessment and like addition just because you brought up a good point about the comparison of how the Silk Spectre reacted to both instances because the older Silk Spectre like kind of I don't want to say she owns it but she kind of like falls into it in a way where it's like well if I go back then it's not a sexual assault anymore I guess or like whatever and then versus the younger Silk Spectre who's with Dr. Manhattan and it's just kind of like she's very overtly angry about it and stands up for herself about it so but it might that, also be isn't that kind of like a metaphor for the way that people who are older have a very different exactly opinion yes. about what mm-hmm. okay yeah I was gonna say what, what yeah. sexual assault really means yeah exactly or like yeah. what is culturally acceptable or what wh- how what action you can take as a woman and how much blame you can take or be responsible for or not be responsible for. So that's valid. I'm really happy we finally have another woman on this podcast. Same. Anytime. All right. So one of the things I, I wanted to bring up was uh, there's two questions about rape. And I'll be real quick. Uh, I just don't like talking about it because it's just terrible. But uh, in Watchmen, the comedian is a superpower. He's a masked super villain hero whatever you want to place it and uh the act of rape is taken on a woman with no powers a woman who may have a costume but she wears no mask she has no position of true power and a similar action happens in brad Meltzer's identity crisis a dc comic where dr light finds out the justice league uh hideout and then sexually assaults sue dibney the wife of Ralph Tibney, the elongated man. And I wanted to ask what your guys' opinions are of rape's place in comics. Because it seems like whenever rape is done, it happens by a supervillain taking advantage of a woman who's already powerless. So is it is it beating the dead horse or is there a message in the narrative? I would say I think that there's something in that that says that like sex, like or like not sex, but like rape isn't something that has to like happen to like you don't have to be necessarily super to rape someone. I feel like it's kind of like the implication in that dichotomy because it's kind of like it's not like they're necessarily that much more capable of dominating these powerless women in that scenario. So I think that that there's something to be said about that. I mean, at the same time, it's like kind of like a sticky situation in general. But I do think that because of those, I think it implies how powerless people feel in those situations, I guess is the best way to put it. Oh, yeah. So like... I mean, the, like, the comics industry is, like, pretty dominated by men, right? Like, uh, so, and, like, it sucks, but, like, rape happens in the real world. And so, like, it sucks when rape happens in comics, but, like, like that doesn't mean that it, like, shouldn't, shouldn't happen. But, like, I feel like you need to really handle it well. And most of the time, it's really not, ha- like, we get these r- dudes who are, like, they're writing rape scenes. They don't have any idea of, like, the trauma that it causes. And, like, and, like. And they draw them kind of sexy sometimes, which is weird. Yeah, it's f- I think that's a kink thing too, though. Ugh. I'm not saying I'm not agreeing with it. I'm and, just saying oh, no. that it exists. Yeah. But the, uh, there's a really good episode of Girls. If you're actually have it, have you watched Girls, Kay? No. There's an episode of Girls in which doesn't, Lena Dunham and her boyfriend matter. go to a bar and they pretend to like be like a different couple. And so like they kind and I mean like they've kind of like talked about it before. So he's like kind of like manhandling her and she's like, oh, you want to force me to do that? And then this other like lady gets involved and is like, you can't and like calls the police and like punch. He gets like really punched out. So I feel like that's a good example, at least, of, like, having that kink where it's, like, clearly consensual and, like, other people think it's bad. Yeah. Well, but, like, a lot of the times, going back to this thingy, in uh, raping comics is kind of, like, it's just, like, a power-up of 
for like the male character. Like rape is cert- like in, like Calliope in Sandman and like even Barbara Gordon and Batman like the they these acts incur like the creators invoke like a crazy amount of trauma the like that they can't really they don't really get and use it to they're fire they're just upping the evil factor yeah they they use it to fire up their main character in like the same way that like someone getting beaten or like shot would do and they ignore like real trauma and like experienced by real people and they also kind of like reduce their characters to nothing and that's not respectful to i don't think the characters or like the readers like when you use these like female characters that are supposed to also have depth as like literal power-ups like uh, i don't need whatever whatever a power-up from video game is whatever like to boost like the action level of a comic like while often ignoring the person who's like more often than not but not always a woman who gets raped and um like we all know they're like over sexual women are over sexualized and um i don't know and even rape is treated differently in comics where it's like it's not really brought up a whole lot of the time again like when when nightwing was raped uh it was the the creator the writer of that comic actually called it non-consensual sex not rape well like newsflash bro that's not really a thing so right yeah and then later on they have him like kiss the the tarantula who was the woman who did it and um yeah it's ridiculous, and she doesn't get impacted by it, and they work together, and it's fine. And, yeah. I think also, though, it's valid to bring up that, like, you know, when you think of the, just as an example, like, if you think of the sci-fi genre, it's the perfect kind of genre where you have a certain level of escapism, but everything that is wrong with society or something that you find problematic in society is brought up in a hyperbolic way and in comics that's like the perfect way to do that because it's um like superheroes or anything like that is kind of they write it in a way that's like within the realm of believability so that when they bring up strong themes like rape or even depending on how they go about it if they're like casual about it or if they're like like really hitting home that this is like this horrible thing that happened you know depending on either permutation i think it is important that it's happening just because like mark was saying it does happen it's not like we can you know like even in a media that is about escapism it's like you can't escape that like that's a truth that's happening so i Mm -hmm. think that um while i think that it might be a little bit of that it's a little bit sexualized still or not understood fully i also think that there is validity in having it there like alan moore rides the line of like i don't know about how tasteful it is but he like rides the line of like being appropriate or like saying something about it like it's not just for the sake of the story like it's not from it's not about moving a story from point a to point b but it's about something very culturally relevant my question well said my question would be obviously the subject is very taboo and controversial in a lot of circles, obviously. And so is it a subject that should be, is it a subject that should be, you know, not written about as some people have suggested, or is it something that should just be as a warning label on content? I mean, for some, it's obviously something that's highly debated. Well, I'll, I'll respond, I guess, first, since I'm already talking and okay. I'm <laughs> a rude person and I can't say bushy. But I would say in response to that question, I would say it's important to have trigger warnings for people who would be triggered by seeing that. But at the same time, I'm always questionable on the representation of rape in media. Cause I know that I've seen some interesting statistics about like the amount of people that get raped in like TV shows and movies. It's like, it's shown a lot more than it actually happens. And especially it's like this, the type of scenarios that tend to be shown um, happen. Like people example, for example, like getting 
what they call like stranger rape like that's like two percent but like in a lot of shows Mm -hmm. that like happens a lot more often than it happens in reality so i do think there is some aspect where you need to be careful about like the type like the type of things you think the people need to be afraid of because i feel like usually people put it in there as a way to like i kind of like up the evil sometimes right and be like this is something you should be afraid of and watch out for usually towards women also, if you're if you're if you're gonna have murder, which is rampant through comics, you're gonna have to have rape. That's like those are like neck and neck with like the most evil thing a human can do. So, and I maybe even murder's not even reflected that great on its effects, its psychological effects on the mm-hmm. people. So we could, you know, I don't think that's really explored too often. One comic that actually does explore the psychological effect of rape would be Oni Press's keiju max if you will mm. and it's a very odd comic because it's um it's about keiju monsters that are being imprisoned by humans and one of them happens to be raped and impregnated let's spoil alert too late but <laughs> and i think uh that goes to something like i wanted to say uh when mark brought up nightwing is that uh the kaiju that's raped and impregnated is male and we're not going to get into kaiju biotics here but i think like, I think Kaiju Max was, like, the first time I'd read uh, a rape scene that happened to a male comic where it's it was dealt with appropriately and very, like, developed where, like, uh, with Nightwing, like, it wasn't, like, it's non-consensual, it's not rape. But the other male-on-male rape scene that I've seen in comics uh, was Mark Miller and Frank Whiteley's Authority, where uh, Apollo is raped by a soldier. And there's no, uh, there's like a sadness response, but there's no like, uh, it's not really developed. It's more like action wise. And the response to it is Apollo paralyzes the guy. And then his husband, Midnighter, rapes the guy who raped him with a jackhammer and his paralyzed body. Well, that's not. Dear Lord. And it's just. Wow, that's not. I I just found that out recently. Golden rule, everyone. Very Myra Breckenridge. If anyone read that book, that's like. And my my point here is read. that uh, like there, we do have a problem with rape. We have a problem with how rape is portrayed. But there are comics that are dealing with it appropriately, and that are exploring it in a way that should be talked about and not should be glamorized. Uh, I think the like the one really like well handled. I guess I don't want to say like good uh, portrayal because like. Obviously, like rape and like sexual assault, not a good thing. Uh, neither of them. But uh, there's this eighty in the eighties. There was this issue of Spider Man where uh, he it was Spider Man encounters this little kid named Tony, and Tony is being sexually abused by his babysitter, and sort of confides in Spider Man, and this gets like Spider Man obviously gets like very emotional about it because that's horrible. But he also kind of reveals to Tony that he was abused by one of his neighbor, like an older neighbor boy when he was a kid, like sexually. And, um, and then it like very well could have been a story or whatever. But then as he's leaving while he's like swinging through the city, he like goes into this long, like thought monologue about like, Oh my God, like I used to be so ashamed of this. And like now, you know, like, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, I never did anything wrong. This is not my fault. This is something that someone else did to me, and I don't need to be ashamed of this anymore. Like, this little kid taught me this. Wow. And then, it's not like that. Like, it came up again in a couple of years later in a, in a comic that was, like, specifically about, like, 
how to avoid like abuse or something. I don't know. I have not read the follow up, but I like have read that it is touched on again. And that's like super duper cool because Spider-Man is just like has this amazing bravado that is obviously used to like mask these insecurities, just like humor as a shield and whatnot. But uh, like it's just very, very cool because he's such a prominent character. And this is it was handled so well at a time then like this really wasn't being handled that well. So I'd like to think that we're done talking about rape for now. Uh, Jamie, we're going to, I think we're moving to the more violent sex voyeurism kind of aspect of it. And you had a few points on that. Yeah, I feel like we're running long, so I'll probably just try and condense a lot of them. But I do think, especially in like image comic sex, the comic book sex, which is confusing. There is a lot of scenes that kind of make a pretty clear connection between like either like masturbating or like sex in general and like the vigilantism that the main character and the woman that he used to hook up with had like there's a scene where she's masturbating and she's kind of like having this flashback slash she's talking about when he was like chasing her once and it's kind of like batman's chasing catwoman type vibe and so i mean it kind of goes back to a little bit we're talking about but i feel like there's some aspect in a lot of books that like being a i can't quite tell if it's like being a vigilante is sexy or is it just that like there's some inherent connection between like I don't know if it's violent, but like kind of like the violent act of chasing people. I think uh, especially with sex, it's kind of similar. In t- I was rereading it before we started the podcast, but uh, in tone, it's sort of similar to Saga, whereas the opposite of war is f- where the character of Simon, who is the armored saint, uh, when he gives up being the armored saint, he goes to a brothel or like it's not really a brothel. It's kind of like a weird like porn place like with real people and he just sits there and he just watches and it's one of those things where like sexuality and like sex is sort of numbing in this world it's sort of the opposite of like not the opposite but it's sort of on the other hand of violence and conflict where if you don't deal with your problems there's always sex sex is the way sex is numbing sex is freeing but it's also kind of halting mm-hmm I think to add to that, too, and what Jamie was saying, I think that it's elements of the anonymity and the violence that comes with being a vigilante that's also, like, quote-unquote sexy about it or could be sexy about it. I don't know if it's strictly because of, like, being chased or whatever. It might be because of adrenaline and all that. I mean, do people feel like it's true that, like, fighting and, like, violence, like, like, I feel like a lot of media and like a lot of comic books especially kind of imply that like after you punch someone out you need nothing more than like to release by having sex i think in general when you have i think in a lot of fiction they correlate uh violent acts with sexuality i think that's like a pretty i don't know if it's a good thing but i think it's pretty standardized and whether it's in a chase scene which could easily be you know correlated with sexuality mr murphy Go on. I was just going to say, I was watching like MMA one day. This has nothing to do with comics, but the violence is related. And it's just like, just MMA is pretty like homoerotic. Like there's two guys and they're all, you know, they're draped over each other. And you got some guy, his, like his mouth is like pushing up against somebody and they're interlocking legs and everything. So I have an erection. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think we all do, you know. Straight chubbing. Even the ladies. I, I definitely do. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like there is something about violence that turns people on. And whether that's right or wrong, it's, it's you know, people are still animals. 
So it just goes back to that animalistic nature. And talking about vigilantism, that's like something that is kind of idealized a little bit because you're acting within your own metrics of the law. You're acting outside of the boundaries of like social constructs and everything. And so it's, it's something that like is elevating the human standard. And so there's something naturally kind of sexual about that, especially since you're, you know, it's, it's rebellious in nature, which a lot of sexuality kind of, Mm. There's something attractive and alluring about that. That James Dean Phil vigilanteism. Ooh. Ooh. Right? That's a porn was... reference, if anybody doesn't know. Oh, well, I actually met the real James Dean, but that the also guy works. Who died. Well, it works for both, man. The sausage guy? Like the breakfast sausage? No. Okay, so this is our final segment before we will have a break and then we'll do the second part. And this section is called Same Sex Sexy Times. So. Obviously, for a large amount of our history, sexual perversions were not okay to be portrayed in anything, which include same-sex sexuality, and that obviously meant it also applied to our comic books. But thankfully, we have finally kind of lifted that ban in our hearts and on the books themselves. So I thought we could start by talking about Saga, which apparently I did not know this until I was researching for this podcast, but... Apparently, the 12th issue of Saga was banned from being on iPhones and iPads because there's a one panel that Matt found for me that's like just on one of the robot screens and it's like just a, a dude sucking, sucking another man's dude. penis. And that was too much. Like that one page, that one splash was not okay. So I wanted to know if we all feel like, like how do we feel about the representation of same-sex relationships in comics? Is it taboo, not allowed? Where Where is this going? So one of the, I think Saga right now is Saga, well, no, Saga and Sunstone are currently the only comics on stance right now that I think are well-known showing lesbian and gay sex and graphically, and it's okay. It's not, uh, it's not mocked. It's not ridiculed. It's natural and it's beautiful. I don't think that's the right word. But uh, another comic that I think um, is doing it appropriately, well, was doing it appropriately, was uh, the recent Midnighter comic from Steve Orlando. And I think it's ACO, A-C-O. Which is getting brought back. Yeah, just getting brought. He got his own series. He was a predominant gay character in Wildstorm. And now he's a, the predominant gay character in DC. And it was also one of the best represent. He was sleeping around with men. But he wasn't doing it like it wasn't ridiculed. It wasn't mocked. It felt all felt natural. It, like it felt like something you would see any other character doing. And it like it. I don't know. I really really like that comic. That's all I really want to say. And I thought it was great representation. So there's some good shining examples. Yeah. But didn't Kay correct me if I'm wrong? But didn't Poison Ivy have? Wasn't there some lesbian sex in that? There wasn't any explicitly, no, but I think that it is canon. Apparently that does happen. I haven't read anything where I've seen that. I've seen a lot of fan art because of course I have, but... Are you talking about Harley Quinn and Poison was it, Ivy? Yeah. Was it implied in the comic? The the-, no, the the implication in the comic for Poison Ivy, the only implication there was was that there was a very strong bond between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. What be it friendship or lovers, I'm not sure, but it was a very strong bond. And they I think I think that confirmed it in Harley Quinn. Probably, yes. Yeah, that but, they were both by Right. So like I think what it is is that for the sake of the Poison Ivy arc or Amy Chu's Poison Ivy arc, which is amazing, but for the sake of that story, her sexuality just had nothing to do with anything. 
at all because she was a maternal figure in that. But I'm sure in Harley Quinn, Harley Quinn's run, that that would be confirmed. But I haven't read. It's really good. I recommend it. It's like uh, it teases the line of her being bi because she does have male romantic interests. But like her relationship with Poison Ivy is the strongest and mo- longest relationship she's ever had that isn't the Joker. And I think it's interesting to look at that her relationship with another woman is the most powerful relationship she's ever had. And her most predominant relationship with a man is the most problematic relationship in comics ever. Just one, one of my favorite representations of like queer characters in comics would be uh, the run of Extreme X-Men, where we get to see a very, very much uh well we get to see basically hercules and wolverine kind of fall in love while they save canada from monsters and uh those are that's a sentence i never thought i'd say before (laughs) i read that thing but you know what it works it was amazing and uh when they kiss it's it's really it was really like they're they're leather clad for a little bit and it's like very obviously supposed to be like sexual but like when they beat that monster and then kiss and it's like you know we saved canada it was it it was just beautiful it just warms your heart is it was so amazing that's that's. I like, like that. Yeah, it was wonderful. I'll send it to you. Please. I mean, Wolverine's been around for, you know, he's never dying, so he's bound to experiment, right? Queer love is better love. I feel like that's true of Hercules, too. Yeah. Her- yeah. Forever. Hercules right, right. is. Hercules is, has been. It's also Greek. Yeah. I, I say Hercules has been along around, along around enough that, that it didn't used to be the norm, and now it is. Yeah. yeah. Her- Greeks and Romans had no problems with this. What do you think Hercules' reaction was when it kind of fell out of favor? Like when you know homophobia became more. It's a more great prevalent. question that a fanfic should answer. <laughs> oh it's God. probably the same reaction that people with homophobia have now. Yeah, but he was around when it was like normalized. You is mean what I'm saying. saying make just America like, great again. Yeah, just like shocked with the uh, the implication that it's not allowed. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Also, um, Hercules and North Star. Yeah, that happened. Let's not forget that Axel Alonso. <laughs> <laughs> this is direct. This is a D. I'm sliding in your DMs right now. I'm a little salty about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> so now, <laughs> sorry, my transitions have just fallen apart. So the next question I have was about not about homosexuality, but it was about asexuality. So, which I think is very, very underrepresented to say the least. But it is actually represented for a little bit in Sex Criminals. There later on in that book, there is a character that identifies as asexual. And I always appreciated that they would put asexuality in with other sexualities that tend to like have more sex involved in them. And so I just wondered if anyone had any thoughts about that. Do they feel like that's the right way to deal with asexuality is to put it in a book that is focused explicitly on sex and sexuality? Or do they feel like it's like that's not necessarily the place? I think it's a start. And it has to start somewhere. Do I think that that's the best representation? No, not necessarily. But, you know, like you aptly put, it's very underrepresented, like, at all. Um, It would be great to see just very casually a character who's identifies as such. I think that, oh, well, now there is. Yeah. Uh, well, the biggest asexual coming out story from 2015 was Jughead was came out as asexual. And the big thing about that was Archie is a publication line so predominantly known for its horny teenagers. Everyone's getting it on. But I think the big thing that Erica Henderson and Chip Zdarsky went out of their way for is that sex doesn't really matter to Jughead. He's not defined by it. And I think that's the best thing they ever did by a, like asexual. Like he, his stories don't revolve around that. He is 
it doesn't matter to him. He's asexual. And I like, like, I don't really understand, like, necessarily what it is in a way. Like, I don't, like, definition wise, but like that, it felt natural. I will. Natural is my I most won't. used word on this podcast. Natural. Do you want to talk about Sex it, Bob, or do you natural. want me to talk about it? Well, I would also relate that to a very popular TV show that's on Netflix called Bojack Horseman. Yes, baby. And without spoilers, there is a character that is that does turn out to be asexual, and it's 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 like poignant, but it's also simply described. And I do think it's hard for people to understand what obviously. You could be asexual and hide. No one will ever know about it. It's not like being gay or lesbian. So nobody actually knows what the percentage of people is asexual. I'd probably say it's pretty low. But like, you know, if we look at sexuality from a spectrum, I definitely am like in the middle and I can definitely see how that comes off. It's just not like an important thing that people need in their life. And it's just not, you know, it doesn't there's nothing that fulfills them about, you know, an orgasm or or maybe they can't have an orgasm. So, you know, it's also just depends on the person. It depends on their lifestyle. And I think it's an important thing to represent. And there's no reason why comics can't. If it's representing all the other sexualities, it might as well represent that sense of neutrality. Yeah. And I think that's why sex criminals introducing it or like having that character was really important just because even though even though that sexuality, like that identity is inherently not interested in sex i think that you know just the fact that it exists or that it's casually spoken about or defined in any way is really important and presented i just repeated what you said but that's okay but i was just gonna say that for the next question i wanted to talk a little bit more about same-sex relationships and i kind of wanted to talk about both like the implied like gay relationship between Batman and Robin, but I also wanted to talk more about maybe even like Iceman coming out as gay because sometimes there'll be like an implied gayness or like we were talking about with kind of like Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn where for a while there it was kind of dubious. I feel like with Iceman coming out, just because he came out didn't mean that he had like a gay relationship immediately. So I always feel like there's some aspect of same-sex relationships in at least mainstream comics where it might be implied all the time, but it's never explicit. Whereas, of course, like there are so many heterosexual couples and it's just made so plainly clear and they date a lot. And I just wonder like why maybe we think that these characters like might get the chance to be gay, but they don't like have explicit romantic relationships portrayed in the books. Because they don't matter. Well, in terms of Batman and Robin, it would be pedophilia. So, Well, no, that matters. I meant like right. Iceman <laughs> in relationships. It doesn't matter. Like the whole point was that he was gay, not that he was in a relationship with another man. Yeah. Because but, is that like too threatening, would you say? No, it's not too threatening. It's just that like... We're not that far into the story. We don't yet. have to be that overkill about it. It's like, oh, and then like I had this crush on my teacher this whole time and blah, blah, blah. Like it doesn't have to be like that all the time. You could just identify as such and be like okay this is something i'm struggling with i feel like that would be the last thing that you would be thinking about not that i know but you know i would imagine that that's if like especially since iceman was so conflicted about it he he, like like, super straight yeah he was so conflicted about it and like really denied that part of himself and to be able to finally accept it i don't think he's just like well like let me get my rainbows like he's not it's not about that uh i think it's interesting especially the example of iceman where uh X-Men's really weird right now where there's young time traveling versions of the original X-Men. So young X-Men having his mind read by young Jean Grey and then 
talking to older Iceman about it was able, like, older Iceman was able to accept it too. And it, it was, like, very, like, it was kind of weird. It didn't really make much sense to me, but I got what they were going for. What's interesting now is that they're exploring it at different angles where uh, young Iceman is still very uncomfortable and very awkward with flirting with boys, whereas older Iceman and extraordinary X-Men is sort of on a flirty line with one of his students. And it's like, like, it's kind of problematic, but it's also kind of very forward with how they're moving that character. And I think it's also interesting to see they're the same character at different ages, but how each one is dealing with that issue in a different way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, regarding the new Extraordinary X-Men, I haven't read the last two issues, but is that something that's been like sort of expanded upon there? Because I know that the student was coming to Iceman for advice about like... I don't think it's really been drawn upon, but that's that's kind of how it's like perceived. It's like the tone is very okay. flirty. I feel like this might just be going over my head then. Thankfully, I, I yeah, I don't but know. But I've also, I've read X-Men for years, and I it's oh, okay. like, to me, I know when Bobby Drake flirts. I'm, I'm new to it. <laughs> Bobby Drake, real smooth, but also not smooth. Smooth like ice? <laughs> oh. Oh, that pun Next segment. Like bash my head in with ice. And also thing to bring up the Batman-Robin relationship, that a lot mm-hmm. of that was during the, the comics code, so... I don't think right. we'll, we'll never know what that meant because all those writers are, you know, gone. So we'll never really <laughs> that figure out. Like Denny O'Neill them, yeah. is still alive. Like, he's never going to talk about. Yeah, true. Denny wasn't really writing Batman comics when these early, you know, Dick Springer era Batman books were being written where the most controversy was being drawn by Wortham. His name was Dick Springer? Yeah. Dick Springer. I love it. I would just like to say shout out to Hulkling and Wiccan for being functional together. Yes. Let's just let's just a little silent round of applause for them and their writers. There we go. Uh, Golf clap. And we're here. We've arrived at the conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, of part one of Sex and Comics, a comics first podcast. So before we go to the next section, just so we don't lose some of the stuff we talked about in this section or the next part, uh, does anyone want to say any of their maybe favorite sex scene we've talked about? In this segment, or favorite sexy character, favorite book about sex we talked about. I think uh, my favorite sexy character that I'm currently reading that we've discussed is Poison Ivy. I'm currently reading Gotham City Sirens, and I was reading Amy Chu's Poison Ivy. And I think she's a really interesting character because she's so like widely beloved, but she's still like she's a villain. Like she uses her powers to manipulate people, not just men but women as well. And like she's like sexually provocative she pushes the limit but she's so cold and i love it she's just a bad bitch and i love it awesome you know in general i'm not usually drawn to any kind of sex scene in media unless it's like this impetus of of a personal dilemma like if a character has is kind of impotent or something I'm always kind of interested in that because it kind of shows this deep deeper inner struggle usually when i I, i'm more interested when sex is used more allegorically i guess than uses like a point of the progressive narrative maybe okay i i almost completely agree with phil i'm not really looking for sex in my media or even relationships really i want just want the story to be strong and if that's included it's for the better i guess but i'm not you know actively searching that stuff or wanting it dylan yeah, I think one of my favorite representations of sex is not something we talked about. It's um in a book called A Stereo's Polyp 
graphic novel. And um and there's like this character when he's young has a couple parts of sex that are just or couples uh relationships that are just about sex. But then like later with his main relationship, before the sex happens, like it just gets very close and vulnerable, the two partners and where they've met, there's a great image where they form like a yin yang but are holding hands and they're just like connected. And um Aww. yeah, and I, I like that because like most of the sex I've seen in superhero comics, not that I've read too many superhero comics, but they're usually like had that violent sex that we were talking about. And so I was relieved to see that moment when it was just like a close relationship. Right. And I think to go off of what Dylan is saying, again, these aren't readings that I or you guys had to do for this podcast, but two comics that are really good about treating just sexuality in general and sex in a interesting way that's not just, you know, sex and violence. Like it's um Odyssey, which is under image, that's amazing. Odyssey is mm-hmm. really interesting about kind of uh subverting what you understand about sex because in this sci-fi genre it's really amazing and then the other one is the infinite loop which is done by a french writer i believe and that's also in a sci-fi genre and it's really interesting because it touches upon uh same-sex relationships but uses the allegory of like time jumper and like i think it's like supposed to be a time space anomaly in the form of a woman and it's really interesting so in that case like intimacy like Dylan is talking about where it's visually done well or it's interesting and it's not just like boning is always appreciated i think bushy well we also didn't uh well obviously i I love the idea of wolfrey and hercules but there's uh in this comic tokyo ghost there's just like uh once after i'm i'm totally blanking on his actual name but led dent once he is uh once he's sort of come down from like his technology addiction and sort of is present to be with his like partner for the first time in a really long time just like the them being just intimate not even the sex that they have because it's sort of it's not even implied the main character she narrates and she's just like yeah well we 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 a lot and but they're just every aspect about it is just like so longing and so like loving and it's just it's just it's just so nice and cute and if scott pilgrim was less of an asshole i would totally be like when scott pilgrim and ramona flowers hooked up but no one Mm -hmm. kids kids please don't take scott pilgrim as a role model he's basically just ross from friends or ted from how i met your mother he's just kind of a a soft boy just oh you freaking exploded my entire existence why did you have to compare him to ross (laughs) because it's true (laughs) it's true and i'm real sorry it was a real world shattering i don't think he's as bad as ross he's not as bad as ross but if no one's allowed if i'm not allowed to be happy with scott pilgrim no one can no one can no one can (laughs) remain okay old guard what an overrated show i loved i i loved him but he's such a dick okay well uh now that you've stomped on my childhood i think i get to say that this is it End of first segment. We are free. You can now go to the second segment of this podcast and you will miss no in-jokes. You will be totally in the loop. And that's about it for now. So make sure to stick around for part two with Mr. Philip Casey. Hopefully he can live up to the hopefully high standard that we have set. And all I got to say is stick around. Bye, people. Woo! Woo!